0: Behold, a gateway to your own past if you wish. is strange, it's alien and it won't give us what we would like to have. Hour 3 of our Tuesday morning is brought to you by the West Coco Pharmacy and if it's Hour 3 of a Tuesday it's Dave Does History on Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington headline at BillMick.com today First World Problems and we spent basically the first two hours talking said things and didn't get beyond that which I'm kind of grateful for I don't really care about the Matt Gates kevin McCarthy battle. Beck's going to talk about it at his show today. Everybody else is going to talk about it all day. I didn't see we needed to tackle it, Dave. And I had fun with you joining us for our, first, our 7 o'clock hour talking name, image, and likeness in high school ball. That was uh, a surprise topic, but, man, I don't like it. You know, we always
1: wanted to do a sports show, so. We did, there and
0: we go. had fun doing it. Yep. Thank you for the extra hour today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That was good to have you along. Let's get into business as usual. What is on tap for Dave Does History for this Tuesday morning?
1: In October of 1943, there came a moment where one of the worst atrocities of the Second World War would occur, in which a Japanese admiral would become so concerned about the danger posed to his particular post that he would decide to do something that was heinous i mean it was it was illegal for one thing but it was heinous he 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 murdered his prisoners of war and it was a bad decision and what made it worse bill it was, it was a completely unnecessary decision but it's going to take us a few minutes to get to that point
0: Okay, and we continue in just 60 seconds on Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history in these Tuesday 8 o'clock hours. David, as I remember stories that I was told or read about World War II and the Japanese, they were not especially um, kind to their prisoners anyway, but this one took a far worse turn.
1: It's, it, it's one of those under-talked-about things, I think maybe something that should be talked about more, but then at the same time... The relationship that we have with the Japanese now, you know, is it is it water under the bridge? Do we want to forget it? I don't want to forget it. I don't think we should. And that becomes one of the controversies in all of this thing. In the late, in, in December of 1941, the United States had amongst its island possessions in the Pacific Ocean, a small little dot of an island called Wake Island, W-A-K-E Island, that was a clipper stop for the pan-american clipper it was also uh, originally planned they were going to use it for the trans-pacific cable system um, but it was it was a strategic output it's, it's basically halfway between hawaii and and japan and australia it's a very strategic spot but it's a very lonely spot bill i mean it's out in i mean it's literally nowhere um, it's not quite point nemo nowhere but it's 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 you know pretty out there
0: it was guam before guam was guam
1: guam actually is better from a location because you've got other islands around you you've got a big harbor wake is tiny compared to to guam it's very small mm-hmm. and it's but it's very strategic has an airfield on it and we start building it up as the pressure builds in the Pacific. We, we start reinforcing it. We start building up our, our presence there because we know that if we go to war, this is one of the places Japan is going to attack. And, of course, on December 7th, 1941, or technically December 8th, because it's on the other side of the international date line, the Japanese attacked Wake Island. What they did not expect when they attacked Wake Island, though, was that it was manned by United States Marines. And as we all know, as I'm sure Brody would tell us, Marines uh, Marines fight like devil dogs. Oh, yeah.
0: Most sure. And
1: certain. the Japanese were absolutely stunned by the resistance of Wake Island. They, they expected just to land, take over, everything be done. Not only did that not happen, but Wake Island managed the, the the fighter planes there on Wake Island actually managed to sink a Japanese destroyer with 50 caliber machine guns. They just mm. strafed it until they sank it. The Japanese were not sure what to do. It took them several weeks before they finally managed to overcome the Marines there. The, the United States thought about reinforcing it, but there really was no realistic way to do it. And so they held out as long as they could. And finally, the island fell, and Japan took over Wake Island. That defense of Wake Island really, it it stunned the Japanese. They were not expecting that. There was a lot of xenophobia. There was a lot of, uh, well, let's just call it what it was, racism. Uh, The Japanese military believed about uh, Americans and, and Westerners in general. They hadn't seen that kind of resistance anywhere else. And so they were kind of ticked off about it. They were their reaction to it was very oddly violent, and they were very disrespectful and very mistreatful, if that's a word. Of it is the, now. It is now. <laughs> I just made it one uh, of yeah. the of the prisoners that they had captured. But not only did they capture the surviving Marines, they captured 98 civilian workers who had been sent there by the United States to help build up the infrastructure of the island to prepare it for the invasion. Now imagine this, you're a civilian and all of a sudden, not only are you in a war zone in a, in a battle, but when the battle's over, you're now a prisoner of war. You probably didn't sign up for that. And, you know, today people would go, well, am I still getting paid? Am I getting paid overtime You know, for being yeah. a prisoner of war kind of thing? The Marines were shipped off by by the Japanese. They were put on a ship, moved west to uh, to various prisoners of war camps out in the rest of the empire. But these civilians were they were specialists, and they had a lot of ability to do things that the Japanese didn't necessarily have without having to import people. So they figured, well, we've got these civilians here and they are experts at construction. They're experts at, at building things. Let's make them work for us. And that's what they did. They made these, these fellows, these 98 civilian workers begin to build the defenses of Wake Island because the Japanese were, Concerned that at some point in the future the Americans might try to attack us. And of course, along the way, there was a carrier raid here and there, but but nothing really serious. And these ninety-eight guys from December of nineteen forty one all the way through nineteen forty-two were forced to work for the Japanese in inhumane conditions. They were basically slave labor, Bill. They were basically forced by the Japanese to build all this stuff. Now remember Wake Island is very isolated, which means it's not getting a lot of supplies, which means the troops there that the Japanese have put there are on, you know, reduced rations already. There isn't any indigenous farming on Wake Island. There's not a lot of food, there's not a lot of water. And so the Japanese approach to this is well you're just you're just working for us. If you die, you die. And so they weren't well treated. They were basically starved, they were basically beaten, and mistreated for an entire, almost two years on this island of Wake Island. And it's just, it's one of those things we don't talk about, we don't, we don't remember this, and we don't, I mean, my guess is most Americans don't even know about it. If they know about Wake Island at all, they might know about it from a movie, there is a movie, about uh, the Marines' defense of, of Wake Island, but it kind of ends with the battle with the, when the island falls. And so we know about the 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 bravery, and we know about the accomplishment of the Marines as they defended the island in this purely hopeless situation. They had no chance of winning this whatsoever. But at the same time, we forget about what happened in the aftermath, and that's that's the sad part of this whole story is that. If it wasn't for one guy, we wouldn't know about this story at all. But it's that one guy, and we have no idea who he was. We don't know his name. We know his name, but we don't know which one of the of the 98 it was. But if it, if it wasn't for that one guy, we literally would know nothing about what happened on Wake Island after it fell to the Japanese in December of 1941.
0: How interesting is that? That, did, did he survive?
1: Was he able to get a message out? What, what happened there? Well, yes and no, but we'll answer those questions in more detail coming up here in just a moment. It's it, it's one of those moments, Bill, that I think when I, when I think about World War II and the sacrifice that was made, I mean, it's easy to think about the Marines. It's easy to think about the Navy, the Army Air Corps, the Army, but there were civilians involved as well. And we can't forget that.
0: And like you mentioned, not like civilians today who are signing up to be part of a paramilitary force to go assist what's going on. These are construction guys, right?
1: These were guys that were trying to help the Marines get ready and got caught up in one of the worst war crimes of the century.
0: Wake Island, the Wake 98. When we continue, Dave Does History on Bill McLeod. We're back in moments on WMMB. Attention class, our weekly dive into history begins now. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Nick Live,
1: and there will be a test.
0: Hit the wrong button, I couldn't talk. Again, it, That these buttons are driving me nuts. I need a producer, Dave. I need a producer. Just hey, say it. I'm available. And see, you're not I'm even am- there right now. Why? Because I turned your source off. That's why. There you are.
1: I'm available, I'm just very expensive.
0: Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Not going to fly in and out of here every day. That's for sure. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history in an hour that's brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Uh, we get to your calls in our final segment uh, of the day. So that'll be our next segment. We're talking about Wake Island, uh, taken over by the Japanese early for us in World War II and, um, then holding not just Marines who they moved off the island as prisoners of war. But 98 civilians, David, these were construction guys who were there to help build up the facility, whatever, right?
1: These were construction guys who had essentially volunteered or been employed to go to the island. And there was actually about 300 of them when they started. The the Japanese did move off uh, a couple hundred of them. But these these guys that were left behind, they were in age, they ranged from 20 to their mid-40s. They were from 20 different states. Most of them from California, Washington, Idaho, which are, I, Oregon. I get Idaho and Oregon confused sometimes. But um, you know, they were they were just typical men. One of there was one father and son pair. Uh, they had been there basically since January of '41, and now they were stuck there. And and you know, life as a POW. It's, it's not, uh, it's not Hogan's heroes. There's not, there's not, uh, there's not a lot of, of happiness. There's not a lot of joy. There's a lot of stress and strain. Every time there's an alert, you wonder, is this the invasion? Are they coming to get us? Are they not coming to get us? And of course, you don't have a lot of information either. That's the other thing. How do you find out what's going on in the world? And really throughout 1942, At least the first half of 1942, the Japanese are running rampant in the Pacific, and it's not until, of course, Coral Sea and Midway where they are blunted, and now they're on the defensive. The Japanese themselves probably knew these things. They probably knew, you know, what was going on, how much they told the prisoners. We don't really know. We don't really know what they knew because subsequent events would prove to be fatal so we don't know what they knew about what was going on what we do know is that they were still there and we know that they were being forced by the japanese to work under just absolutely inhumane conditions conditions that qualify as a as a war crime conditions that you know were similar to concentration camps and the likes of that they they were being forced to work on defenses that would prevent the Americans from from retaking the island. Now, I've often wondered myself if I was being forced to build something that would stop my side from winning, would I go you know full effort on that, or would I tend to go bridge on the river Kwai on that? Would I would I tend to not you know do my best work, sure, knowing that you know I'm going to get beaten if I don't. So. You know, it's hard to it's hard to imagine what was going on there. But at the same time, you know, we have some evidence of it because we know what ultimately will happen.
0: Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history.
1: So, Dave, where are we at on this uh, Wake Island situation? So, imagine this goes on. And it's, you know, it's not Gilligan's Island, but it's kind of going on like that. You're stuck on this desert island in the middle of the Pacific. You're a prisoner of war. Even though you're not military, you're being forced into labor to build defense systems, you know, for the Japanese. And nothing else seems to be happening, Bill. Once the uh, last of the prisoners were evacuated uh, back in early 1942, things seemed to get strange around Wake Island. Now, what nobody, none of the prisoners, I'm sure, knew, but the Japanese would have known was that the United States Navy submarines were basically blockading the island. They basically had it so that nothing in, nothing out. And this, of course, makes it even harder because now there's no food getting in or very little food getting in. There's, you know, potable water, those kinds of things. And so this is making it worse and worse and worse. These prisoners are undergoing this stress and strain they're being beaten they're being abused and and starved to death and by october of 1943 or this week in, in october of 1943 it's clear that the japanese this island is is a trap i mean that's what it's come down to in an, in the first week of october in 1943 an event happens on the island. the USS Lexington, which is a brand new aircraft carrier which features amongst its air group a guy by the name of Ensign George Herbert Walker Bush, comes into the area and makes an air raid on the island. Now this is really just a it's not really an invasion. it's just a let's go let's go shake these guys up. And they come in, they bomb the island, and this scares the crap. Out of the Japanese, they decide that this means this is not good for them. And so they escape their little camp on one end of the island. And in this massive group, they move to another end of the island. Well, really there's no place to go. So even though they've escaped, you know, what do you do? The Japanese hunt them down and in what can only be described as a war crime. They machine gun all of the prisoners that are standing there on the beach and murder them all and then bury them in the shallow sand. What they don't know is that one guy is not with the group. One guy has somehow or another managed to slip away and has survived what they've done. And this one guy, one man against the entire Japanese empire, will go back. At some point, and he will carve into one of the rocks that are there, Wake Island 98 POWs on this, and and he writes the date 10 5 43. We do know that he was captured shortly thereafter, and that the Japanese admiral in charge beheaded him, thus killing all 98 of those civilian contractors. But because of that rock, we know it happened. Wow. We'll take your calls as we wrap up the Wake
0: 98 story here on Bill Mick Live with Dave Bowman. And Dave Does History coming up uh, in our final segment of the day. Don't forget our Storm Watch page brought to you by O'Galley Electric. All of our storm coverage, whether it's uh, on the website, it's on demand at BillMick.com. Or if we go on air, if we have a storm situation, O'Galley Electric makes it happen. Latest information right there on the website. Coming back to your calls with Dave Does History next.
1: on demand or live with your iHeartRadio app.
0: All of our podcasts there as well on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel, also in the podcast section at BillMick.com. The West Coco Pharmacy bringing you this hour of our Tuesday, and in our final hour, it's Dave Does History. Dave Bowman with us from Silverdale, Washington. Dave, so an atrocity carried out by the Japanese with these 98 civilian prisoners one of them surviving long enough to leave a message on the rock that said
1: this is what happened imagine how long it takes to carve that into that coral by the way yeah that, that's not a that's not a quick scratching in there it's very deeply embedded in the rock it's still there today if you go to wake island you can see it but it's
0: do it's, people go there today
1: oh yeah yeah people go there today there's a, actually a memorial to the 98 there there's uh we, since we know their names, we actually know who they were. We just don't know who the one guy that survived long enough to do that was. So mm. th- that's, you know, the big mystery. What we do know is that the the bodies, of course, were recovered at the end of the war. And Wake Island, by the way, was never invaded by the Americans. We just isolated it and bypassed it. But at the end of the war, we, you know, we reoccupied it. The, the Japanese admiral. Did we know the prisoners were there? Yes. Oh, yeah, we knew that. The Japanese admiral who committed this atrocity was uh, subsequently executed as a war criminal, which is, you know, fitting. And today, we don't even think about it. We don't even remember this. In fact, most people don't even know about it. And, but it's one of those stories that I think uh, inspires us. Uh, here's one guy who knows he can't win, but he has to get that story out. And he did what it took to get that story out so that they wouldn't be forgotten. And to this mm-hmm. day, in this week in 1943, we remember those Wake 98, and, and, along with the defenders of Wake Island and everyone else that, that happened
0: to be there. Fought a battle they knew they were going to lose, but they fought it. Very true. Let's get to the phones. John's been waiting since we started in Palm Bay. Hey, John, you're on Bill McLive. Good morning. Uh, Dave and Bill. I had an uncle that was born in Grant, Florida, who was one of the 98. His name is Charles Elmer Smith. A local situation, okay? He was one of the civilians, and it appears that uh, from letters from a, there was two brothers, at least two, called zivic Brothers that corresponded with my mother after one of them came back to the States and was on radio many years ago, saying so about my uncle's, his nickname was Smitty, and he may have been the one that Put the engraving on the granite there, rock. He is buried at the Punchbow in Honolulu, Hawaii. He worked for the uh, company out of Boise, Idaho, Morrison Consulate. I just thought I'd let you all know. Wow, John, that is a connection. So you've known this Wake Island story for a long time. This is the first I've heard it. And uh, it is something else. John, thanks for hanging on and sharing the story about your family member there. Dave?
1: You know, and that's the, that's the kind of connections that we look for in history. And, and, you know, again, we we don't actually know who wrote it, but you got to one, you got to wonder. And, and here's the reality, Bill, any one of those 98 would have done exactly the same thing. So Mm -hmm. you can say my uncle did it because he, he very well, he would have if he could have. So restoring that story, keeping that story, and keeping that story alive. And, and you know, it's easy to think about the military people, the 500,000 military people we lost during the Second World War. But there were civilians, not only on Wake Island, but think about the merchant marines who, you know, ran the convoys through the U-boats in the Atlantic. Uh, there, there were sacrifices made that I don't, sometimes I wonder today if we have any clue. What that what that war cost us, which makes the arguments that we have today about things seem a little.
0: The, do we have the resiliency today to even fight it, should it come about?
1: I I hope we do, and I I like to think that like that generation we would adapt quickly enough to do it. But the only way to know is to actually have to go through it.
0: Prefer not to do that. That's for sure.
1: Dave, as
0: we look at Wake Island now. Uh, it, it does it is it some kind of tourist destination at this point or no
1: you know i don't know the wake island is a tourist destination because it is it's still where it was i mean it's still out in the middle of nowhere right but which the, might
0: be attractive for some folks come on
1: you know it's one of those places i would like to go there's several south pacific islands that i would like to go to and and wake is among them but you know, it's it's like anything else. It's it's arduous travel to get there. It's not right. it's not easy to find, or it is easy to find. It's not easy to get to. Um, I don't know that it's a tourist destination, but it certainly is a war memorial, and it should be. And that's sometimes I I worry that we're forgetting those things. And like you said, this is the first you'd heard of this. Um,
0: yeah. But are you aware if we still have a military presence there? Or on just Wake the I,
1: I'm sure Wake Island has been demilitarized. Much like okay. much like Midway has been Midway Island, you know, a huge military base has been turned into a a bird refuge. So um but but no, I don't know for sure on Wake and I'd have to look that up. But Sure. There you go. But I did uh during the, the break there I did find uh a photograph of Charles Elmer Smith, the uh Did the you uncle. really? Yeah just sent it to you on our text machine there so so it, it is good that these folks are remembered and it the problem bill and this is what worries me as a historian this is what worries me as a philosopher you know usually two generations and then things are gone you know you you in two generations nobody's going to be left that knows these people so we're close to the end of that second generation already How do we keep that memory alive? How do we keep that story, you know, in in the forefront of people's minds, especially given the idea that there are a lot of people who don't want to remember these things because, you know, we get along well today. We we don't want to insult anybody. We don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. And yet, how else how else can you deal with the inhumanity of man to man? How do you stop it from having a get happening again if you're not willing to talk about it? Those are things I worry about.
0: Oh, and I can understand that. Um, is it easier, Dave, for us to remember the say the Civil War? Because we have battlegrounds, battlefields, uh, memorials across the country, the ones that haven't been torn down, the statues that haven't been torn down. We've got Gettysburg, and you were
1: there just recently, right? Yeah, we were. We stopped there this summer.
0: So easier for us to
1: remember those
0: people and those events because, thank God, World War II happened outside of Hawaii, off of our shores
1: predominantly. So in some ways – I. The Civil War is unique because the Civil War has more literature about it, written by people who were there than I think any other war in history. Now, World War II is probably right there with it, if not having overtaken it. but we we also have a connection to the Civil War um, my great grandfather was a cavalry trooper during the second during the Civil War for the Union um You know, that's two genera that's my great grandfather. So my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father made three generations ago. I never met him, you know, I don't know him. He was illiterate, so I don't know what he had to say about anything, so but it's a tenuous connection, and how do I pass that on to my son? With World War II, my grandfather was, you know, a, a soldier during the Second World War in the Army Air Corps. My uncle was a Navy sailor. But when I'm gone Where's the connection when their children are gone? Where's the connection? And mm-hmm. we don't want to lose that connection. And that's why these stories, I think, are so important. That's why they're the so. The only surviving critical. photo
0: of, of my grandfather is in a World War I Army uniform. That's the only surviving photo of my grandfather. That, And I never knew him. He died when my dad was 12.
1: Isn't that fascinating, oh, yeah. though? Don't you look across that picture and look in those eyes and just. Oh,
0: you know, yeah. I look at and the, I'm named after him. So, you know, there is the connection there.
1: I look Um, at that photo of my great, great, my great grandfather, who, again, Civil War, you know, cavalry trooper. And I just wonder, I mean, he was 19 when he walked from Ashdown, Arkansas, to to Missouri to enlist in the Union Army in the summer heat of 1862. And I the the question I want to ask him, I know the answer, but I want to ask him why, because I want to hear it from his lips. But, Mm -hmm. you know, all I have is those eyes looking at me from a photograph taken long after the war. So
0: I've got a photo of my dad in like the third grade standing in front of the school where I went to elementary school with all of his classmates, including his twin sister. Um, and I compared that to a photo of my grandson and you're looking at the same eyes. You're looking at pretty much the same face. It's amazing to, and, and I point that out to him every now and then I'll pull the picture up and say, Hey Liam, come here. You know who this is? This is you. <laughs> oh, that's not me. Y'all, no, it's my dad, and it is you, you—you—you you, you got the family curse. You look like the rest of us.
1: Well, you've got that article today in the in the BillMcLive.com your show notes about you know from the Eastern Florida professor. Yes. About history and why why it's important to study it, and I, you know, I have my own ideas. She's she's spot on, but. You know, the thing I would add to that is that history is about teaching ourselves core values and teaching ourselves societal values. And it's about passing those lessons on in the mm-hmm. same way that that the Greeks did and the Romans did and the, the ancient Egyptians did and so forth and so on. Every culture does that. But it, it's also about there's a line I like in a song called planting trees. I'll never climb. It's passing these stories on like this story of wake Island. Somebody may have heard that story today. And now you'll tell your kids or you'll tell your friends. And hopefully by the end of the day, a hundred people who didn't know that story will know that story. And maybe they'll want to know more. Maybe they'll go look at this picture of Charles Elmer Smith. And maybe it'll change how you look at the world but that's maybe the lessons there will be passed on that way. And that's, that's why we do what we do.
0: Absolutely. And of course it'll live on in the podcast section at billmick.com and at the Dave Bowman Show.com. links to that at billmick.com and just above the links to Dave Bowman and Dave does history there. Nicole James's column from Florida today, studying history and uh, that it has a purpose. Nicole did a great job with that column. I, I messaged her last night, let her know how much I thought of it. And uh, Give it a look. Give it a read when you get the opportunity. Dave, we're out of time in an hour that's been brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Thanks again for the extra hour. Oh, it was fun. We have to start drafting you for that every week, man. <laughs> it was fun. We always, we always wanted to do that in Modesto, didn't we? Yeah, don't?
1: we did. Yeah. All right. Dave, uh, what's next week, by the way? Next week, we're going to take a look at a vice president, and we're going to talk about a pitcher of warm spit.
0: Oh, that ought to <laughs> be fun. Yeah, vice presidents tend to be in focus and not be tend to be too important most of the time. Next Tuesday at eight with Dave does history.